story, the beginning of the early church, I think in some ways one of the modern uh, parallels to it might be what it felt like to be part of a startup, uh, a web company, a, an organization, a nonprofit, a corporation, a group of folks who got together to start up something new. Startups are discussed and written about often in our culture. Some of you have been part of a company um, that maybe you helped start up, and maybe it doesn't have anything to do with business or industry. Maybe some of you have just started up a group of folks around a common cause to embark on some sort of adventure or journey together. Most successful startups talk about this sort of magic that existed in the early days of their organization. While many times people become rich and successful and powerful because of a startup organization or company, most folks don't start out with that as their end goal. Most successful startups begin because a group of people come around a common cause. They believe that a product or a movement or an idea can change the world. They see something that is flawed and that is broken and that needs attention and they band together and believe that they are the group of people who can make that change happen. They usually have a visionary leader like Jesus and they pool their energy and their time and their talent and their ideas and their wisdom and their resources together at the early days and they're willing to do whatever it takes to execute that vision. And most who start something up are underfunded and understaffed this is why sometimes you'll hear stories of the best friend's brother's sister's boyfriend's aunt who did the web design for free or the stories in startups of that apartment that happened to be big enough to put four desks in it and it became the home office. The stories of late nights and two-day-old takeout food that was all there was to eat because everybody was trying to get a product launched or recover from a server crash or get orders filled. These are the stories that become legend in startups. And startups are uncertain, they're unconventional. There's often folks standing on the side going, oh, that's not gonna work. Is anybody gonna really buy into that idea? I don't think that can change. And some investors jump in early and others wait to see if this thing is gonna take off. I graduated from college in the mid 90s. I know it's hard to believe because I clearly look like I'm only 21 years old still, but I graduated from college in the mid 90s and as college students do, there was a ton of discussion about who was going where, what we were going to do after graduation, what part of the country we were going to move to, what job we were going to take. And one of my good friends at the time was dating a guy who was going to move to Seattle. And we all thought the idea that he was moving there for was rather silly. He was going to work for some guy named Jeff who was selling books out of his garage. And we thought an online book retailer was sort of a silly idea. And why would you waste the finance degree that you worked so hard to get on this little startup out on the West Coast? He joined Jeff Bezos at Amazon, was one of the first 12 employees of that company before it went public just a few years later. So who's laughing now, right? 
But the adventure that he was on didn't make sense to us. We didn't understand why he was going to do that. These are some of the same questions, intentions, and excitement that the early church faced when it was starting itself up. And the church in the book of Acts looked around at the dark, dreadful, vapid, often soulless world that surrounded them in the Roman Empire and said, we know a God who has an answer to the problem that we see. We know where light and hope and joy and peace and presence and the opportunity to, to commune with the divine comes from. And we believe in the visionary leader of Jesus and we will stop at nothing to start up his church in the first century Roman world. The church in Rome was witnessing to and ministering to a society that was deeply divided, if you can believe it, probably more divided than ours even feels today. There were slave and free, there were Jew and Greek, there were Gentiles, there were women, there were men, and they inhabited different spheres. They were separate from another. Most groups were suspicious of the other, and if they befriended one another, it was to get something out of it at the end of the deal. Life was dismal. Some would sit in the corner just hoping that it would pass by quickly and the suffering would end. As Frank Bruni writes in his New York Times book review, an American president's worst day is a sugary cakewalk compared with the treasonous blood sport of politics in those ancient times. As Dan mentioned last week, this is the culture that gave rise to the gladiator and the idea that you could watch another human being kill one another in an arena for fun. And some of us might feel as we're careening towards dark days like that now. Sometimes we may lament that not much has changed, we just have different ways of taking care of the ugly in our culture. Cicero, a contemporary at that time, writing about his own culture, observed this. He said, we, the Romans, have so much. Our arts and learning, our laws, our treasure, the beauty of our land. We have dominion over the entire earth, he wrote. And yet, why is it that some ineradicable impulse of the human mind always impels us to foul our own nest? What is it in the depths of our being that is bent towards sin and darkness and terror and messing up the world that God has given us? The answer, of course, is human sin and our shortcomings and our inability to get the things that God is calling us to do right. And it is into this world, this world that was curving in on itself, that the church of Jesus Christ rose up to curve outward and to be about the flourishing of other people. This was a group of people that said it doesn't matter what ethnic background you have, what economic status you hold, what educational level you've attained, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, all that matters is that we can share who we are and learn from one another to bring the justice and the peace and the mercy and the love of God to this world.
Now we sit here today with 2,000 years of church history stacked up behind us. We came in this morning, and if you said to your neighbor before you left, I'm going to church today, none of them would have thought to themselves, what's church? I've never heard of that before. Some of them may have said, why do you go to church? But nobody doubts that church exists and has been a group of communities coming together like this for centuries. All over the country, all over the world, there are folks gathered and some sitting in pews and some sitting in cushy chairs, but this is what we know. And we have worship teams and choirs and guitars and keyboards and signage that tells you how to get through our new fancy parking lots. And we have sermon study guidebooks and we have Christian universities we can attend if we wanna learn more about the things of church. And some of you have read the scriptures and many of you probably have a copy, but if you didn't, you could download on your smartphone a copy of the Bible before I'm done with this sermon. We come here today with all of that somewhere in our minds. That is the context we inhabit. Think for a moment about what the context of the early church would have felt like. They had none of that. They knew Jesus loved them and died telling them they had a responsibility to carry out his work, that the Holy Spirit would guide them in his physical absence, but they didn't have everything that we've already inherited and know today. Don't you wonder what they talked about when they were setting up the first church? Maybe questions were a little bit like this. Ah, so whose turn is it to preach this week? Is this thing we're doing and how we're doing it exactly what Jesus meant for us to do? Did anybody write down the Sermon on the Mount? Who's got the copy of that scroll? Whose house will we meet at? And what happens when we run out of seats? Will we overflow into the cafe? (laughs) What happens when we've pushed all the furniture against the walls and everybody's sitting on the floor and there's still not enough room, and does anybody know what songs we're supposed to sing, and who's got the bread for that meal that he said, remember, do this in remembrance of me, and didn't he teach us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, and what do we do about the fact that some of the people here, a lot of them really, are poor and hungry and tired and homeless and have great need, what did he teach us about sharing what we have with others, and he said something about the poor will always be with us. What, what does that mean? And how do we take care of those who have great needs? And is anyone else worried that we might be persecuted and die like Jesus? Maybe we should meet with the lights off because dictators like Nero are out there killing people who believe what we believe. The church had all of these questions. They were figuring out how to do this thing we've inherited from them. And they lived in such a compelling way that people took notice. The product they developed, the vision they had, the leader who was shepherding them was so radically different than anything during their day. Aristides, one of the contemporaries at this time who was observing and writing about the early church and who later converted to Christianity, observed this early community. 
And this is what he said about them. He said, Christians live in hope and expectation of the world which is to come. So they do not embezzle what is held in pledge, nor covet what is not theirs. They love one another. They esteem widows. They rescue orphans from any who ill-treat them. Whoever has gives to who has not without boasting. When they see a stranger, they take them into their homes and they rejoice. Whenever one of their number who was poor passes from this world, each of them, he says, according to their ability, he watched them contribute to the burial of that individual. If there's any among them, any that are poor and needy, and they have no spare food to give them, this group of people, he says, would fast for two or three days together in order to have some food that they can supply with the needy one. This was what the culture observed about the group of folks that called themselves the church 2,000 years ago. So the question for us is what is God starting up in you, in us? What is God doing here in this place? What roots do we have down so that we can grow up and flourish and extend what we have to others? Is there a new thing stirring in your heart? In Isaiah 43, Isaiah says, this is what the Lord says. The Lord made his way through a sea. He made a path through mighty waters. And he goes on to talk about all of the ways that God weaves his way through the darkness of our cultures. And then he says to the people, he says, see, I'm doing a new thing. I'm rising up. I'm growing up new things in you. He says it springs up now. And he asks the question, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness. I am making streams in the wasteland. I am using you, the church, the people of God, to do my good work in our dark world. This is what God does with Abraham and Sarah. We studied this on our Take Root journey. And he looks at Abram and he says, look up at the sky. He goes, you can't even count the stars you see. Not the three that we see in the suburbs of Chicago. But like picture yourself in the middle of Montana or somewhere in the middle of a desert looking up at the sky. That kind of look up. I'm going to bless you more abundantly, more numerously than the stars in the sky if you can even fathom it. And what I'm going to do for you, he says, is I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bestow my grace and my love and my vision and my purpose in you so that you, t- yes, can have that for yourself. So you know my peace and my presence. But there's not a period at the end of that sentence of blessing. God then says, so that, I will do this so that you will be a blessing to others so that you can turn around and do for others all the beauty and majesty and God-filled work that I have done in you. He says, all the people on earth will be blessed through you. 1 John 3, verses 16 to 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity, how can the love of God be in them? 
Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. We all know what it feels like and looks like to see folks who say one thing and do another. It should make us shake our fists. That's not right. You said you were one thing, but you acted like another. My mom, my mom would always tell us as kids, do as I say, not as I do. How many of you heard that growing up? And as a kid, I was like, okay. And now as an adult, I'm like, that was kind of a load of garbage. <laughs> I was like, what is that supposed to mean? And I say to my kids, I'm like, I do stuff wrong all the time. We're gonna try to figure it out together. But we wanna be the people, if we say we love Jesus and we follow in the way of Jesus, we have to do the things the Lord tells us to do. And that is to care for the community of faith and the community beyond these walls so that they too might flourish and prosper. And it means radical acts of selfless generosity will make that sort of life happen. And again, some of you I know are new here today for the first time. You're like, what are these words? Take root, flourish, what are all the t-shirts? Some of us have been on this journey for over a year now. And we here at Christ Church are determined to be a place that brings flourishing to others, which is why we are sending teams of folks and resources across the ocean to Africa where there are children who cannot get educations because they do not have schools and we're helping build schools in Africa and we're helping send resources and people over there, not just to build a school and leave, but to develop a partnership. And we're doing that right here in DuPage County with Felicia and a ministry called Resilient that came up out of this place so that those who are underserved here in our community have what they need. School supplies for teachers that might not work at schools that have enough. Education, tutoring, mentoring, an opportunity to share what we have received so abundantly with others. It's why we're launching another campus of Christ Church in Downers Grove so that we can rise up a whole other branch of ministry and of service opportunities. And it's why we've filled this place and we spill out into the Garden Plaza and we're about to spill out into a new venue, not just so that you can drive in the parking lot and go, wow, I go to like the biggest church around. It's not what it's about. We wanna be able to gather everybody who wants to be here and we wanna pray and we wanna sing and we wanna praise and we wanna worship and we want to preach and learn how to be the people who can do the same things the early church did so that they're crammed in so tight, they're sitting on the floors, the place is overflowing and no one can leave without thinking to themselves, I gotta get out of here and do something good, something to help flourish another person, another community. That's that's what we're doing here. I wish that all of you could come to the meetings we have here. Actually, I joked at nine o'clock, you would not wanna to come to all the meetings we have here. Sometimes we are crazy making here. But wow, we had a meeting on Tuesday where we planned this worship thing and we sat around and we just told stories about generosity about what it felt like to be in this community to know that some of the things we pray and we sing and we preach and we study are actually taking root and happening. And one of our colleagues, uh, some of you might know her, Randy Lundgren, um, she's been here on staff for a couple years. 
She's got this great story. A couple years ago, she's down in the city with um, our student ministries, with our high school students, and they're serving at Breakthrough together. Uh, an urban ministry serving homeless folks. And they all carpool back here to the suburbs to Randy's car that's here in the parking lot. And it's dark, it's nighttime. And Randy confessed, she's like, all I wanted to do was go to bed. I just wanted to go home and go to bed. But Randy made a, a mistake that day. She actually dared to pray, God, give me your eyes to see what you want me to see. That is a dangerous prayer because sometimes God will actually deliver an answer to that prayer. And when you're tired and all you wanna do is get in your car and go home, you can't because you prayed that prayer. And there was a car in the parking lot and a woman in that car asking about the Christ Church of Oakbrook food pantry. And so everyone who was sort of shuffling off into their cars gave her the specs on the food pantry that was gonna be here in this building the next morning. And Randy began to walk back to her car and she said she realized that the woman in that car was gonna spend the night in the parking lot in a Chicago winter waiting for the food pantry to open because she had nowhere else to go. And she thought to herself, oh, I gotta go do this. <laughs> she walked over to the car and there were three little girls in the back of the car. And Randy said before she even knew what she was saying, she just blurted out, why don't you come home with me? And she took this mom and her daughters home and it took about all of an hour for everybody to settle in and eat popcorn and hang out and start to enjoy each other's company. And the car that this mom was driving was not well. <laughs> so they drove her and her kids here the next day and stocked them up with food and drove them to an apartment that just screamed of need. The utilities had been turned off. There was nothing much in the space and Mark and Randy worked to get the utilities back on for them and then sent an email and a few text messages that is so easy for some of us to do to a bunch of friends here from this congregation who showed up with clothes and more food and school supplies for the girls. And the dad, who had disappeared on this family, returned to the scene and gave his life to Christ because of the testimony of Mark and Randy. This family now is doing great. They have their own home. They're flourishing to a point where they're able to extend what they have now to others. And the mom had said to Randy, she said, you know what I prayed that day? I prayed too. She goes, I prayed that God would send me an angel. Some of you are somebody else's angel. I mean, this is, this is what we do. And here's the great story. This wasn't some weird drive-by act of generosity where, oh, you, you need something. I'm just gonna throw something your way and keep on going. They're still friends to this day. They hang out. They celebrate the day, the anniversary, of the day they all met each other. It's about relationships. It's about drawing together and pooling our resources so that we can give to those in need and extend flourishing. There was one other story I'll tell you from that circle we shared, and there were tons of them that came up. There's a woman named Kathy with a family full of kids, and she and her husband woke up the morning after Christmas, and by that night on the 26th, their house had burned down. And some folks from this congregation heard about it, and on the day after Christmas, when most of us don't even take our pajama pants off, <laughs> made their way over to her house and dug through what they could of some of the, the rubble when they were allowed to go through it. And they pulled out as many Legos as they could find. And they took all the Legos home and ran them through their dishwasher and salvaged what they could so her little boys could still play with their Legos in some small way after Christmas. And 18 months later, this woman, Kathy, her husband, unexpectedly passed away. 
And once again, this place came and gave and prayed, and men from this congregation stepped up and stood in and helped her raise her boys because she no longer had, a, had their dad with them. This, this is what we do here. And I'm not telling you these stories so that we can stand up here and go like, look at us, we are Christ Church of Oak Brook, we are so awesome. That is not the point. The point is that is what we're about here. So when we embark on this generosity journey, what we're trying to do as a, as a congregation is raise up the resources to just keep doing this stuff, to keep churning out angels who can meet the needs of a world that we live in that is just as shadowed over and just as dark as the one where the early church took root. And so every week for the next couple weeks, we are gonna share a video at the end of our sermon time, an opportunity for you to see what flourishing looks like in the lives of a couple of the folks in our congregation. So if you would turn your attention now to um, the story that we've got for you on the screens. We're the Schroeders, I'm Anna and this is Corey, and we have two sons. We've been coming to Christ Church for about a year now. I think Corey and I come from different ends of the spectrum as it relates to money and finances. Corey is very much facts, figures, numbers, analytic, and I think I'm a little bit more fly by faith. And so I think one of the journeys that we've experienced together as a couple is really kind of blending those two styles. For me, the journey started with really acknowledging that God and money shouldn't be separate. I think growing up and even in my early adulthood, I always felt like money was a, a worldly possession and God was, was something greater. And until I realized that God was the provider of income and all the things that I have, it was difficult for me to, to link those two. Once we started tithing and giving more, I think I realized that it's really a, God is giving us everything whether it's food, family, money, and being good stewards of that is important. But I would say that going through that process has really changed me. We have, you know, from very early on in our marriage, made sure that it was just a part of worship. It's just a part of who we are as a family. It's who we are as a couple. Amazing things can happen when you kind of relinquish that control. It's our job as parents to instill that in our kids, and it's something that we're trying to do through showing them and teaching them and talking about it and making it just as authentic as we possibly can as part of an act of worship. To see um, our kids participate actively and with joy in the children's ministry has been incredibly cool. The other day, our oldest son, we, we told them that we were going to church, and I think they said yay. <laughs> so that was a good sign. And you get the recap after of what they've learned. Did you know, Mom, that Jesus walked on water? That was the big aha from a couple of weeks ago. So. And we did. We knew that. <laughs> to see a hunger and a desire for our kids to not only attend but to give in this church has been really rewarding. Our children just started having lemonade stands. We teach them that you take a portion of that and give it to God, and you give a portion of it, put it in savings, and you can spend the rest of it, which they typically buy candy with. <laughs> but it was interesting because our oldest the other day asked if he could give more to God, and it was, it was cool to see that. We really see the investments in the people of the church and the outreach as having far greater impact than anything that we could even imagine. So giving, to Christ Church is 
not difficult for us. If someone's on the fence and uh, trying to determine if they're gonna give or not to, to Christ Church and to Take Root, I would pray about it. Since we weren't really a part of Take Root, we didn't really make commitments at the beginning because we were brand new and didn't really know anything about the church. We just got the shirt. And so figuring some of this stuff out now helps us take root. It helps us be planted and rooted in a church that we really feel like we can grow with as a family. And that's been really fun. I think we need to, as a family, make a commitment and figure out what that looks like for us and finish strong. Lots of good stories like that taking place all over this building and um, all over God's churches all over the world. This is not an isolated conversation that just happens here, but this is what the people of God are doing all over the world. But here in our congregation, on November 11th and 12th, we are celebrating what we're calling Recommitment Weekend. For those of you who've been part of the Take Root journey for the last year, this is a chance for you to come and celebrate and recommit uh, to what you have signed up for and, and, and joyously um, worked toward in our generosity movement. And if you're new here or you've joined us in the last year, this is an opportunity for you to participate um, and we hope uh, join us in committing to generous acts of flourishing here at Christ Church and on throughout the world. So thank you uh, for being part of this journey and part of the conversation and part of the people who get to tell the generous stories. We're grateful for that. So would you all pray with me together as we close out this time and then we'll sing one last song. Lord, thank you that we're here in this space that um, we are a people that get to read the story of your early church so that we could be here today in this warm space on these comfortable chairs, God, um, doing this thing called church that you've been doing in your people for 2,000 years. Thank you that uh, this is a congregation that is about the flourishing of others and that you lead us to your good purposes. So help us take that seriously. Help us really wrestle with what it means to follow you and how the time and the talent and the resources you have so generously blessed us, blessed us with can be used to um, be about the flourishing of others. We're grateful to be your children and to call this place home. In Jesus' name, everybody together said, Amen. Amen.